That was stupid planning on our part to put my daughter up here before I got up here. <laughs> terrible, terrible. <laughs> she did great, but that was terrible for me. <laughs> hey, uh, what's, what's one thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for answers here. You get the shout out today. What's one thing that you had canceled this year? And let's keep the responses simple, just one sentence, whether it's, you know, uh, cruise to Alaska or baseball tournament in Georgia or elective surgery for bicep implants, just something short. What got canceled for you this year? Shout one out here. Sanity. Sanity got canceled this year. <laughs> Yes, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Please be sane. What else? <laughs> Family reunion. Ouch, that one hurts, right? Cruise. Oh. <laughs> what else? Nothing else? Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Normal Christmas Eve, right. Anyone else? Just because you have the masks on doesn't mean you can't talk. All right. Yeah, we've had a lot of things canceled this year. Uh, last week we started this series, though, that we were talking about Christmas is not canceled, right? With all these things canceled this year, even it hurt yesterday. The Ohio State-Michigan game was canceled. We were, we were going to put 100 on them this year, too. <laughs> but it's, it's reasonable to think that some of our Christmas traditions and gatherings might be canceled. But again, Christmas isn't canceled because... Jesus isn't canceled. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at some attempts that were made to cancel Christmas or cancel some things that came about because of Christmas. So last week, we looked at this, this not-so-traditional passage about the birth of Christ found in Revelation chapter 12. You know, we, we don't normally turn to Revelation at Christmas, but we had this imagery in Revelation of Christ being born and the devil pictured in this in this scene as, as this red dragon who is trying to stop the birth or, or devour the Christ child as, as he was born. And uh, obviously his attempt did not work. Though his effort to prevent the birth of Christ didn't pan out for the devil, well, the devil has been trying over and over throughout the years to deceive us into living like Jesus never existed. We're living like Jesus doesn't make a difference. So today we want to look at one of the greatest impacts this Christ child would make on, in our world and in our lives, and that is that he would come to bring joy, to bring joy. In Luke chapter 2, we read of how an angel announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So in a little while, we're going to come back to Luke chapter 2. If you want to open your Bibles to there, we're going to read that large section later. Um, so you can just kind of bookmark that. But Jesus would bring to, come to bring joy to all the people. It seems like this year especially, that the joy is being canceled in our lives if we're not careful. And so I want to remind you today, today we want to talk about how joy is not canceled. C.S. Lewis once said that joy is the serious business of heaven. The joy is the serious business of heaven. And so how could joy be canceled if it is the business of heaven? Nehemiah told the people of his day, he said, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord will be our strength. As Christians, we are to live with joy. But it, but it seems like people, even Christians, are losing their joy these days. The devil would love for us to live a life without joy too. And we see it, don't we? We're seeing that mental health experts are telling us that, that during these last nine months, depression is on the rise, anxiety disorder is on the rise, suicidal thoughts and attempts, they're on the rise. The CDC reports that younger adults 
racial minorities, essential workers, and unpaid adult caregivers are all experiencing increased levels of adverse mental health conditions this year. Because of this, we're seeing substance abuse, domestic violence, and other types of abuse that are on the rise. School officials will tell you that, that, that for some children, that school is an escape for them. It is an escape from terrible situations at home, and yet with schools being shut down, those children are constantly facing horrible living conditions with little to no escape. We are facing a huge mental health crisis and a lack of joy. And if I'm being very transparent with you, this year has been a struggle for me. We've had a whole lot going on within our family and had a lot of tough circumstances and, and hardship Extremely difficult decisions we've had to make and then pile on the craziness of COVID. If, you know, even if COVID weren't a part of this, this was a hard year for us. But pile that on. And so I found myself, uh, I've never struggled with anxiety before and I've, I've started to find myself all of a sudden a little bit short of breath sometimes. Chest tight, walking around with, with tension, being a little bit on edge and just feeling overwhelmed and no escape to it. And it's not that I'm just overwhelmed with what's going on in my life, but I'm overwhelmed with the burden that, that so many others are facing trying times as well. And, and then trying to figure out how to lead in this unique environment is, is stressful. And so I've had to, on, on, on quite a few occasions, go over in my head Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 has this just challenging passage. Uh, Paul starts it off by saying, Do not be anxious about anything. And I read that and go, oh, yeah, that's easy. I'm, I'm just done with anxiety. Good. You know, it's not that easy, is it? And so Paul gives the antidote to worry, to anxiety. He says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He's saying, give, give it over to God and, and be thankful. You know, when I, when I start to turn the focus away from my problems and my feelings of being overwhelmed and I begin to give thanks and recognizing the, the blessings that God has given me, then my worry begins to turn to worship. And here's the result. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Like it's this peace that just doesn't make sense to those outside of Christ. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so if I'm not careful, and if we aren't careful, these times of hardship and anxiety and pain and loss they can rob us of our joy in Christ if we allow them to. There was this moment when Jesus saw this in his disciples, and so he addressed it. Jesus was telling his disciples that, that soon he was going to be leaving them, meaning he was going to be dying, and he would go back to be with the Father, and that after he would leave, these disciples of his were going to face extreme persecution. And so as Jesus is giving his disciples this overwhelming news, he then says in John 16, 20, Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. And we would see that when Jesus was on the cross, the world was rejoicing as the disciples were mourning. And he says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And that joy was felt that Sunday morning of resurrection. Then down in verse 22, it says, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And I love this. He says, And no one will take away your joy. No one will take away your joy. Jesus knew what the disciples would be going through, and he knew it would not be easy for them. But they knew they hadn't signed up for easy. And we haven't either. 
They, they signed up for something different than the, what they had been getting. They didn't realize it yet, but they had been signing up for a cross. So Jesus doesn't deny the fact. I love this. Jesus does not deny the fact that they would face sadness and grief and hardship and pain. And he does not deny the fact that, that that's going to be the case for us too. That we're going to face grief and viruses and overwhelming situations. But he also doesn't deny the truth that we have a God who is bigger. And when our trust is in him, then we can have joy. And no one can take away our joy in Christ. And so at the end of John 16, he tells his disciples, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. It's only found in Jesus. In this world, he says, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we have an overcomer. An overcomer who brings us joy. But sometimes, sometimes we have a hard time experiencing that joy, don't we? So why is that? Well, what are some things that we allow to steal our joy? Well, sometimes we let circumstances steal our joy. You know, your circumstance is what you're facing right now. Maybe you've had a bad day. Maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe you've had a bad 2020, right? Maybe you feel like you're going through a trial or you're being tested right now. In our circumstance, it can be very difficult to maintain perspective and carry joy with us. James, the brother of, of Jesus, he challenged us with these words. He wrote in James 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You hear that? Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. That, that does not seem right. That, that seems very counterintuitive to consider it joy when we go through the difficult situations. Why would I be joyful in these difficult circumstances? He goes on, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He's saying, because there's fruit from the trial. There's purpose behind the pain. You know, one of the things that Sarah and I have been asking ourselves during some of the, the trials and the most difficult circumstances of this past year has been, God, what are you trying to teach us in this? God, what do you want us to know? Is there something that we're not seeing that you want us to see, that we're missing? What do we need to open our eyes to? What are you wanting to bring about from these trials? If you're around Gateway long enough, you'll hear us say this around here. We'll say, don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. There's always something we can be learning, a way that we can be maturing from the pains of this world. So how can God be using that pain for something greater and for his glory? So don't let your circumstances rob you of joy. Some people, they let their finances ruin their joy, steal their joy, especially this time of year, right? Uh, but just, just a hint to you, putting everything for Christmas on a credit card is not going to bring back that joy. Just, just a hint there. Proverbs 22, 7 tells us that the borrower is a slave to the lender. And being enslaved because of finances can lead to a loss of joy. But the remedy? We're to be intentional about our finances. Develop a plan and be generous. Yes, be generous. Acts 10.35 says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Being blessed, part of being blessed means that we're being joyful. There is joy in generosity. And again, this, this also sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? 
Because the world teaches us that we need more. We need more and more to experience joy. We need to get rather than to give. But Scripture teaches the exact opposite, that generosity actually leads to joy and to blessing. Some people let their health steal their joy. Now, you may be thinking it's very insensitive to me to suggest that in the middle of a pandemic, that our health shouldn't steal our joy, especially if you'd contract the virus. And I know that all of this, all of this is easier said than done. Those sickness and, 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 and health issues, they do make life difficult and harder. It should not take away our joy. The Apostle Paul would talk about this thorn in his flesh that he prayed that God would take away. And many believe that this thorn in his flesh was some type of medical condition. Some scholars suggest it had to do actually with his eyesight. Yet God didn't take it away. And, and here's what we read from Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 about this thorn in his flesh. He said, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And then he says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It says Paul delighted in his weaknesses. In his, in, in when he was insulted, he delighted. When he faced hardships, he delighted. In persecutions and difficulties, he delighted. Because those things became the ideal spotlight for displaying God's power and his grace. And that brought him joy. Now, I'm sure that there are a lot of other things that come into our lives that have the potential to rob our joy. But this next one, this next one's probably at the top of the list. Some of us, we allow people to steal our joy. We allow people to steal our joy. And again, this might be the most difficult one for, uh, for us. If I'm being honest, I have allowed people to just suck the joy right out of me. I mean, they're, they're walking by and all I hear is a vacuum, right? And there goes my joy, right? And I say that I have allowed, I have allowed people to rob my joy because it's not like they were going out. They were getting up in the morning and going, what can I do? to just annoy the snot out of Steve today and make him frustrated and angry. I really don't think that that's what they set out to do. No, I, I have allowed the things that people have done or said to bother me and to drag me down. I have allowed people, people I have no control over, to steal my joy. Maybe it's a stranger who cuts you off in traffic or someone rude at Walmart or maybe it's someone close to you. Maybe it's that negative coworker, or a nagging mother-in-law or a difficult boss. Or maybe it's been a politician or other public leader that's just frustrated you. Or maybe it's some posts you've been reading on social media that just make your blood boil. Don't let people steal your joy. Again, you cannot control what other people do. And when that truth really sinks in, it is, it is a very freeing feeling. I sometimes have, a, have trouble not <laughs> believing that truth and I try and control the situations, but when I grasp onto that truth, it is a freeing feeling. You cannot control what other people do, but you can control how you respond to them. The Bible would say, again, going back into Philippians chapter 4, to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. As in, 
in every circumstance, in every high and in every low, around every person, we rejoice in the Lord. And here's why. Here's why we can have joy in every circumstance. Because our joy has nothing to do with our circumstances. Our joy has nothing to do with our finances or the health of us or the people around us. I love this great definition of joy. It says this, that joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of my life. Isn't that a great definition? Let's read that together. Say it out loud with me. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of my life. One more time. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of my life. Thinking back to the the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, we read that in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own hometown, their own town to register. Now, can you imagine the hassle this would have been for the people in those days? Just because one man wanted to get a count of his subjects for tax purposes, everyone had to go to their own hometown to register. For Mary and Joseph, this would have meant about 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. How many of you, just by show of hands, if this decree were issued today, you would have to travel more than 90 miles to get to your hometown, to the place you were born? Okay? All right. Who, who in here might have traveled the farthest? Let's see, we got... Was it Iowa? Is that, oh, you were born in Kansas. That's right. Kansas, anyone further than Kansas? Right? You were D.C. area, New York City, Manhattan area. Okay, yeah, Columbus. I, Texas. Texas. They got you, Texas. Sorry. All right, there's a prize for you later. Um, Chris, you can take care of that. Okay, thanks. All right. <laughs> from, from this location right here, uh, I, I, would have, I would have to travel 288 miles to where I was born in Painesville, Ohio. So about a four-hour and 15-minute drive. Not a huge deal. But remember, this was at a time when they didn't have vehicles, they didn't have highways like we have today. This would have been a very, very difficult journey over rough terrain, and there were some, some dangerous places to travel through. There were actually people who would rob others on, on this route. And so looking back on history, Gaius Octavius Thurinus, also known as Caesar Augustus, was the most powerful man in the world when Jesus was born. His father was Julius Caesar, and Julius Caesar was murdered on the Ides of March by a rebellion of senators led by Brutus and Cassius. Uh, they, they were upset because he, Julius Caesar had become too powerful for them. But their attempt to, to decrease his influence had actually backfired. And now Julius Caesar's son, Augustus, had inherited the scepter of the Roman Empire. And so everyone was afraid of this man. So if he wanted everyone to be counted, everyone was going to be counted. Whatever plans you had, it didn't matter. Everything stopped. Think, think about March of this last year, or this year. All of those plans that you had, those vacations, those tournaments, those events, those family gatherings, those job opportunities, those upgrades, whatever, it didn't matter. Everything stopped. And this was, this was the ancient world, what the ancient world dealt with a lot. They, they dealt with the whims of Caesar because whatever Caesar wanted, Caesar got. And this decree, no doubt, caused a lot of trouble for people all over the Roman Empire. But this is where the Christmas story starts, isn't it? And you and I know where it ends. It ends with joy to the world. 
That's because even though a tyrant seemed to be calling all of the shots, joy wasn't canceled because God was in charge. He was in charge and he was working out his plans. So let's read further in Luke chapter 2. We're going to read this large section now from verse 4 to 20. It says, So Joseph, after this decree was issued, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They were keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So with the just little bit of time I have left, I just want to show you quickly who exhibited joy that first Christmas, despite all the things that could have stolen it from them. We obviously see that Joseph had joy. He had a settled assurance that God was in control of his life. Now, we don't know a lot about Joseph, but what we do know is that he must have been a man with a deep confidence in the Lord. He didn't rebel against Caesar's decree. He he didn't rush to judgment or react harshly when he found out the news that Mary was pregnant and, and he had not been with her. He believed what the angel told him in a dream about the truthfulness of Mary's message. We read in Matthew 1.24 that when Joseph woke up from this dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And from there, he took this nine-month pregnant woman on a long donkey ride in the middle of a time of chaos, in the middle of a difficult situation, and he exhibited joy, the settled assurance that God was in control, that God was in charge even when the journey was hard, even when the journey was scary. When God is in control, our circumstances do not dictate our joy or our lack of joy. We also see that Mary had joy. She had a settled assurance that God was in control. So Mary was just a young lady, probably in her teens, maybe even as young as 13, maybe 13 to 15 range is what most people think. And no doubt she had to have been very afraid and confused. (laughs) When she found out she was pregnant, she asked, how can this be? I've never, never been with a man. But in the end, we see that she trusted. When the angel announced that, that she would give birth to Messiah, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. 
So she exhibited this, this joy, this settled assurance that God was in control as she watched God's plan come to fruition. And she marveled. She saw God fulfill his promises and she treasured those things in her heart. And then we also see that the angels had joy. Again, they had this settled assurance that God was in control. They would be the ones that would announce this good news that would bring great joy. Earlier, I read that that C.S. Lewis quote that said that joy is the serious business of heaven. And angels, they are the heralds of a message of joy. They announced that, that Jesus would come and bring joy. In Luke chapter 15, we read of of one of the things, though, that brings the angels the greatest joy. Jesus shared the parable of the lost sheep, and he concluded by saying, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And here's the cool thing. We get to be a part of heaven's business, of heaven's rejoicing, when we help to turn a sinner to Jesus. So Jesus, or Christmas, isn't canceled this year. And joy lives on because some 2,000 years ago, it was announced that today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. God kept his promise. He is in control. And we can have joy today when we have a settled assurance that God is in control of our lives and that we can trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, many of us have been facing a lot of difficult circumstances this year. A lot of hardships and disappointments. A lot of hurts. A lot of overwhelming feelings with stresses of work or maybe the stress of possibly losing a job the stress of finances, how we're going to pay our bills and things like that, the stress of our kids, our schedules, trying to take care of kids being at home and also getting our work done, the stress of our kids having stress. God, there's just been a lot that's piled on. And some of us, we have been dragging around a huge burden with us, a burden we were never meant to carry. And so, God, we thank you that some 2,000 years ago, you took on flesh and entered into this world and became one of us. And you were able to sympathize with our weaknesses, sympathize with the temptations we face, sympathize with overwhelming situations. God, you faced them day in and day out. So we have one who has gone before us, perfect in every way, and who took the greatest burden that we have and placed it on his shoulders as he went to the cross. He took the burden of our sin and carried it with you. Scripture says that you became sin and then took the punishment that we deserved, bore the wrath that we deserved, and paid the price that we should have paid but couldn't. So you took that burden for us. And instead of giving us your righteousness, giving us your peace, giving us hope, 
So God, I pray that when we begin to feel the joy being sucked out of us, that we would, in prayer and petition, turn it over to you and with thanksgiving in our heart, realize what you have done for us. And that this peace would overwhelm us. This peace that transcends all understanding would come on us. There's a peace that is only found in you. God, I don't know how other people handle the stresses of, of life without you. The lack of joy they must experience. So God, I pray that we would part, be a part of your business of spreading joy by turning that sinner to Jesus. So may we experience your joy this Christmas and each and every day, and may we help others to understand the joy that can only be found in Jesus. So God, we are so thankful that 2,000 years ago, joy came into this world. And that joy would be for all people. We're available. That joy is available to us all through Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. And so this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. If you have a decision to make about him, about following him, trusting him, I'm going to be up here to your right as we sing this last song. Maybe you just need some prayer. We would love to pray with you as well. Will you stand and sing?